0: Chilling on the beach in nice, relaxing summer weather. You grab a fresh drink, a red can with white font, and the most satisfying shh sound when you open it. Without saying the name, you will know what I'm talking about. Coca-Cola. One of the most long-standing and recognizable brands worldwide. It's sold nearly 1.9 billion times a day and has a logo recognized by 94% of people worldwide. Talk about a massive impact. Impact doesn't say whether it's good or bad, it's some kind of impact. Welcome to the fifth season of Red to Green on history for the future of food. Stick around till the end to find out how this story may relate to the present and future of food tech. Let's jump right in. You're listening to Red to Green, the audiobook style podcast on food tech and sustainability, moving the food industry from harmful to healthy from polluting to sustainable, from red to green. In April 1985, the Coca-Cola company decided to discontinue its most popular soft drink and replace it with a sweeter formula it would market as New Coke. As soon as the decision was announced, a large percentage of the U.S. population boycotted the drink and made sales plummet for the company. Outrage over pulling the original Coke recipe off the market was high and after only 79 days of introducing new Coke, the product was pulled from shelves and the original Coke returned. So what went wrong? First let's look at why the company decided to change its formula in the first place. Coca-Cola has been around since 1886. And this is an absolute little side note, but I'm researching Monsanto and the history of Monsanto right now. And few people know that Monsanto was pretty much dependent on Coca-Cola for the first couple of years. It started out creating saccharide, which is a replacement for sugar, and Coca-Cola decided to go with saccharide instead of sugar because it's cheaper without actually telling people about it. And then they also increase the caffeine content in their drinks, also with caffeine created by Monsanto extracted from tea leaves. Back then, Coca-Cola was faced with issues regarding a potential regulation of caffeine because it's a, you could say like a drug. Interestingly, the regulators were much more concerned with the caffeine than the cocaine in Coca-Cola. Funny how things change, eh? But back to the original script. Since 1886, it has created a close bond with its customer base, especially in North America. The recipe for its iconic drink is so secret that it is stored in a vault in the Atlanta Coca-Cola Museum. In 1985, the company was close to celebrating its 100th anniversary of Coca-Cola without ever having changed the recipe. That's absolutely not true. The climate was especially competitive at that time, and Pepsi had positioned itself as a brand for the youth and narrowed its focus on its target group, successfully taking market shares from Coca-Cola. In the 1970s, it raised the stakes even further by introducing the Pepsi challenge, testing consumers blind on the difference between its own brand and the supposed real thing. To the horror of Coca-Cola, most of those who participated preferred Pepsi's sweeter formula. Despite intensified marketing efforts, Coke's market share had slipped to an all-time low of just 24% in 1983. The problem seemed to come down to the product itself. We need to change the product. As the Pepsi challenge had highlighted millions of times over, Coke would always be defeated when it came down to taste. So what must have been a logical step? Coca-Cola developed a new formula and conducted 200,000 taste tests to see how it fared. The results were overwhelming. Not only did it taste better than the original, but people also preferred it to Pepsi-Cola. So it should be all foolproof. Coca-Cola decided it was time to make a drastic decision that to this day is considered extraordinary in the history of brand marketing. They changed the recipe for the first time in 100 years, at least, that's what it was officially, you know, and created New Coke, the sweeter alternative, favored in the blind taste tests. They pulled all traditional Coca-Cola from store shelves and replaced them with the new formula leaving consumers with no option but to drink new Coke instead of the Coke they have known before. The company expected sales to rise, and they initially did, but the outrage and drop in sales that followed were unprecedented and unexpected. There are theories as to why the new version flopped, such as that the sweeter formula was good in small batches, but overbearing in a whole can. Still the most likely factor was what is called loss aversion, The tendency to prefer avoiding losses to acquiring equivalent gains. In the sense of you only value what you got once it's gone. Consumers felt the loss of original Coke more intensely than the gain of new Coke. And so intensely even that it sparked substantial public outrage. Over 1500 calls a day flooded into the company's hotline. Panicking consumers buying $1,000 worth of old Coca-Cola and protest groups demanding we want the real thing started popping up across the country. All because the soft drink got sweeter. What was the big mistake the Coca-Cola company had made? Indeed, what Coke had not considered was the power of their brand and the bond consumers felt with the product and the Coca-Cola way of life. The blind taste tests had failed to measure the emotional attachment to the original Coke felt by so many people. While the recipe change proved disastrous for sales, it also showed how invested people were in the brand. Everyone was talking about Coca-Cola, realizing its important role in their lives. After just 79 days with New Coke, the company reintroduced the original recipe, now called Coca-Cola Classic, to underline that it was the real thing and kept its additional name on the product for over 20 years before scratching it in the late 2000s. It still kept New Coke around, but was soon discontinued and vanished from collective memory. I also think part of it is just people really don't like to have their options limited. And I think it's actually also a cultural thing considering that America has very strong values of freedom and choice. This was just not a good way to go about it. Actually, a lot of the regulation, for example, the saccharide regulation back then, was also argued with about consumer choice. Consumers should have the option to choose what kind of alternative sugar they want to consume. At the same time, if they don't know what is in the product because it's not labeled, that doesn't work. Coca-Cola should have considered two factors, emotion and branding. The company was the first to establish the drink and had the original status which is often used in its advertising, such as in the 1942's, the only thing like Coca-Cola is Coca-Cola itself, the real thing. By creating New Coke, the company made consumers feel like what they had been drinking, loving and supporting was not the real thing all along and made them feel betrayed. Breaking down the brand's importance for Americans to a simple matter of taste was simply misguided and in retrospect makes it obvious that the product was destined to fail. They had thrown away a relationship cultivated for nearly hundred years in favor of a dip in sales. Also, people can behave differently in user research than they do in real life. The tests had people drink one or two sips of each cola in isolation and then decide which they preferred based on that. The problem is that's not how people drink cola in real life. They might have a can with a meal and rarely drink just one or two sips. Sometimes it's actually massive portions. The new coke failure shows that marketing is about much more than the product itself. It's not about the product but what it means to people. Take the example of alternative proteins. While it's important to stress product properties and advantages such as how it tastes like meat and how it's healthier and how it's more sustainable. Storytelling is key. Consumers like to feel like they are part of something bigger, a way of life. Coca-Cola has been selling overpriced sugary liquids not by talking about features, but by talking about a desirable life. And let's say it's quite a proven strategy. It worked pretty well. Maybe the food tech community can take a sip or two of that marketing strategy spotify has a new feature and that is that you're able to review a podcast if you're using spotify on your phone you can just look at the podcast overview and then there is a star icon where you can rate it on a scale from one to five stars it will help us to keep doing this content and deliver it to you absolutely for free my name is marina schmidt if you have any kind of feedback or ideas, or you just want to connect and I can help you somehow. I don't know, you need feedback on a pitch deck or you need a contact to somebody, just ask me. Maybe I can help you somehow. You can find me on LinkedIn, Marina, like the C, like the marine, M-A-R-I-N-A and Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T, or look for Red to Green and you'll find me associated with it. As always, there are more people behind each episode. So thanks to Katharina Tilch and Franziska Erbe for doing ground research, Lara Toyman, the editor, as well as Celeste Gupta, the audio editor. Until next time, let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.